Lauren. Mike. Lauren, which do you prefer? A laptop with a detachable screen or a tablet with a detachable keyboard? So many choices this early in the morning. Um, (laughs) I have to say that I probably go first and foremost with a clamshell. Call me traditional. Call me old fashioned. Followed by a tablet with a detachable keyboard. How about you? Um, I want a clamshell where the screen also detaches and swivels over the keyboard so I can't type. Oh, okay. Well, do we have something for you? (laughs) We're going to talk about all those (laughs) options on today's show. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Michael Calori, a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good, a senior writer at Wired. And this week, I'm podcasting from Casey Newton's closet. Hello, Casey. It's not actually his closet. It's just his apartment. Thank you, Casey. (laughs) We're also joined remotely by Wired's newest products and reviews writer, Brenda Stolyar. Welcome, Brenda. Hello. Thank you for having me. Your inaugural Gadget Lab. It's so exciting to have you on. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited to do this. (laughs) We are deep into what we call here at Wired hardware silly season. Last week, Apple announced a bunch of new stuff. And this week, Microsoft took its turn. In a splashy live stream on Wednesday, the company detailed some of its upcoming hardware drops. We saw new Surface computers, a weird laptop with a flippy screen, an update to the Surface Duo, the dual screen phone foldable mobile thing. Okay, well, it's definitely a phone. But we'll get into the duo later on in the show. First, we want to talk about all the new Surface hardware. Now, Brenda and Lauren, you both got a chance to report on the new Microsoft stuff this week. So let's start with you, Brenda. Of the many Surfaces you saw, which Surface was the most surprising? Okay, so I thought about this question for a while. Well, 24 hours, I guess, at this point. But (laughs) I, and I know we're going to be talking about the Surface Duo 2 later, but I just have to say, like, that's the one thing that came to mind. I don't know if I was in denial over it because of how it went last time around. I, I know that there were rumors. I know that we saw it coming. But um, I remember when I walked into the demo area, that was the first thing I saw. And I was just like, okay, like, we're doing this. Like, it's here. And we're all going to act like the first one didn't happen. Uh, We're just going to move forward. And so, yeah, I I think just seeing it um, in person after in my brain, I kind of just like I was like, they tried. Microsoft tried. Um, But then the other thing I'm going to say is the service laptop studio, which I know, um, Lauren, you're also going to talk about. But I think it was just nice to see uh, something completely different, like a, a whole new category, so to speak, I guess, um, in their lineup, because everything else, we all knew that there was going to be some upgrades to existing models. So it was refreshing to just see something new from the kind of yearly changes. What exactly is new about the Surface Laptop Studio? Try to explain it to us. And I I love this, by the way, because Brenda, you saw this a few hours before I did on East Coast time. And then I saw it, you know, later in the day on Pacific time. And you came back to the newsroom, the virtual newsroom, and you were trying to explain it via Slack, and we were all like, "What does <laughs> this thing do?" And you Wait, were like, so it has a what? It's the- it, where does the screen go? Yeah, so <laughs> tell us okay. about this. And I didn't realize it was so difficult to explain until I had to explain it, and I I felt like I just I might as well have been speaking another language because I was like, I see it in my brain, but I don't know if that the verbal. Uh, explanation work. Okay, so at first glance, it looks just like a regular laptop. You have your screen, you have your keys, um, your keyboard and your touchpad. And then 
Behind the display are two hinges. And what you do is you can move the display towards you. So essentially, the hinge almost like splits the display and it lets you move it towards you. So you can place it in three different modes. Um, so you have laptop mode, touchpad, keyboard. You have stage mode, which lets you place the display, like move it forward towards you so you can watch movies, makes it more comfortable, it's like at a slant. And then there is studio mode, which lets you place it flat like a tablet and you can use, um, it's compatible with the Slim Pen too, so you can comfortably draw on it. Um, so it's built on the Surface Book 3, which I thought it was at first, and then I wasn't sure if it was built on the Surface Laptop uh, design, but yeah, Surface Book 3 and then um, Surface Studio. So they basically just combined it to create one. Uh, it's also, I will say, I really like that the internals are all on the bottom because with the Surface Book 3, very top heavy. Uh, this one was was pretty lightweight for for such a intense contraption. And you can also get it with a NVIDIA graphics card too, right? Um, so I mean, provided that there aren't supply chain issues for that. And so this is really aimed at people. It's a, and it's expensive, so it's aimed at people who want to do quote unquote pro grade work. Yeah, it starts at sixteen hundred dollars. <laughs> Just an investment, um, but you are getting a lot in one. So uh, for people that have like a day-to-day -day workflow that uh, works with that, I think it might be worth it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it works in the wild. But it was cool, cool concept. What about you, Lauren? What was uh, surprising to you when you saw this stuff? I agree with Brenda that I think this the Surface um, Studio Book laptop Surface and Surface Book had a baby thing. <laughs> was probably the most interesting. Um, ever since Microsoft started making its own PCs, dating way back to the giant Surface tabletop computer. I don't know if you guys remember that. I do, um, yeah. But then even more recently, the hybrids that it started uh, rolling out in 2012, the company has just been experimenting, right? And a lot of these have been whiffs, either because the hardware was too early. I'm sure a lot of you remember the ARM processors on the Surface RT, uh, which didn't it was a flop and and now we see more and more of um, a move towards ARM-based processors and PCs. So in that case, they were too early or because the software was just a flop too, like Windows 8, right? So that's a bit, a bit of a chicken and an egg problem. And also Microsoft, like a lot of other PC makers are still relying on Intel for their chips and Intel has flagged an innovation in recent years, right? Because our mobile phones in many cases are our computers now and mobile processors can do amazing things. Uh, that said, you know, Microsoft has the money to experiment. They keep pushing forward with Surface. There have been times in recent years when it has even eked into the top five of PC makers uh, globally, which is which is pretty impressive. Um, it's now a billion dollar business for Microsoft, the whole Surface business. And, and they're willing to experiment. So I, I think if anything stood out to me, once again, it was the Surface, what is it called? The Surface book? The Surface Laptop Studio, is that correct? Yes, Surface Laptop okay. Studio. Although it should have been the Surface Book Studio, literally. The, like the I Surface, don't. Yes, that's it, so true. It's because it's based on the book. It's not based on the laptop. Yeah, which is why I thought it was the laptop 
Surface laptop and the studio mixed together. And then they were like, we built it on the heritage of the Surface book, the book. and the Surface studio. And I was like, that's right. a Surface book studio. That's not right. a Surface laptop studio. I guess they just like want to make it known that it's a laptop and they don't want to confuse people who maybe aren't familiar with the Surface book line. Like they don't, I, I don't know. They just want people to know it's a laptop, clearly. <laughs> yeah, they want people to know it's a laptop. It's not a detachable but I guess it has, it doesn't have the Alcantara fabric. It's not super slim and light the way that they're they're sort of striving for with the Surface laptop. It really is more the heritage of, of the book. Um, yeah, just the design was nifty. I also thought the pen was pretty cool, the the redesigned pen. Uh, it's It's got like a little bit of a drag to it now in a good way, not latency, not like when you connect it with the screen, it's slow to write. It's just uh, they've created this kind of feedback where it feels like you're actually dragging a pencil across a, pe- a piece of paper, which I thought was uh, pretty cool for um, a stylus. And then um, I guess if I had to throw in like an accessory that I thought was really interesting, Microsoft also showed off a couple of interesting accessories. One is an accessibility pack um, for surfaces in particular. So this is for people with low vision or limited motor skills. It's basically just a pack of stickers. These are tactile adhesive buttons that you can put on certain keycaps, you can put on a cable and then put a corresponding sticker on the corresponding port on the laptop. You can um, attach a lanyard to the front of your keyboard. It has a loop at the end of it and then you can just sort of get your finger in there and open your laptop a lot more easily. Um, Sometimes laptops can be surprisingly challenging to open. Uh, And so that was pretty interesting. And then the second small thing was, uh, I think we all kind of loved this. It's a it's a mouse made of 20% recycled ocean plastic, little bit of a gimmick in terms of, you know, in sustainability and whatnot, but it just, it looked cool. It was really lightweight and it looked like a bar of soap. And I was saying yesterday that it's, I think it's the first computer mouse I've wanted to like wash my face with. Uh, it it just looked cool. <laughs> I know, just like roll it over there. I mean, who needs a jade roller? You just take the mouse and you just kind of, anyway, sorry. Okay. Uh, Mike, what surprised you about Microsoft's announcements yesterday? Um, I was surprised to see the X, the Surface X, um, just because it has traditionally not been the best computer. Um, it's cheaper, right? It's like the the low-budget Surface. It runs an ARM processor, and as mm-hmm. we know, there have been some issues with app support for ARM processors, and they got that mostly ironed out last year, but I think now you still need to have apps that are optimized to run on ARM in order for them to feel like they're, they're regular Windows apps. Uh, also, the price dropped on it. It's now $899, uh, which makes it $200 cheaper than the actual Surface Pro 8 starting price. So maybe more people will be attracted to it at that price, but still it's like if you have the ARM version or the full Intel version and you have to make a choice, like why would you choose the ARM one? It just seems so underpowered. At least that's that's what our testing has has proven and all the reviews that I've read have said the same thing about it. So it feels like, like something that should just go away, but mm-hmm. it didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, you know, we've all been praising Microsoft's experimentation and their willingness to experiment. And while I do appreciate that, my favorite Surface is the Surface Laptop. It's you like it, that Alcantara? Yeah. Well, it's yeah. not just it's not just the <laughs> yes. Alcantara fabric coating. It's the fact that it's inexpensive and it's a laptop. It is the best machine for most people, right? And, you know, and like when you have these tablets that have the detachable keyboards and they have these kickstands, you can't really use that on your lap. You need a table. 
And just think about how you use your laptop around your house. Like right now, I'm standing in my closet and I have my laptop on a little shelf. If I had a Surface, it wouldn't work. It just would not work at all. Mm -hmm. Of course, I could probably take the keyboard off and put it on a stand because it's a tablet. So it's a little bit more, um, you know, uh, versatile in that regard. But for the most part, if you're buying something to do like laptopy stuff, you should just get a laptop. So my favorite is the is the the Surface laptop. Now the Surface laptop four came out at the beginning of this year, or at least that's when all the reviews dropped at the beginning of this year. And um, it's it's everybody's saying like if you're just getting a, a Microsoft laptop, just get this one. So mm-hmm. I agree with that. And to me, it was surprising that when we go into an event like this, there's all this flashy new stuff and nobody talks about like the Jetta of the lineup, you know, the Accord of the lineup, the thing that is like the thing that is that most people are going to buy that everybody loves that works for everyone. Mm-hmm. So um, much love for the SL4. We missed you this week. I have a, a Surface Laptop 4 at home here, Mike, um, on loan from Microsoft. I asked to borrow one so that I could start running beta versions of Windows 11. And, um, and, and you're welcome to borrow it if you'd like. Just wanted to say that. No, thanks. <laughs> I'm an Apple boy. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that Duo 2. Welcome back. Last year, Microsoft jumped aboard the foldables trend and released the Surface Duo. Longtime listeners to the show have heard us talk about this thing before. You've probably heard Lauren talk about how much she loves it. <laughs> it's a pocket-sized device that flips open and close like a book. And unlike other foldables we've seen, where you get one big screen on the inside with a barely there crease running down the center, the Duo actually has two screens that are separated by a big old hinge. And back when it first launched, Microsoft pitched the device as a multitasking mini computer made for work, which is so very Microsoft. The company also absolutely insisted that it was not a phone. Now it ran Android and it could make phone calls, but they refused to call it a phone. Well, almost nobody bought a Duo. And now Microsoft has revamped the design. Lauren, you got a chance to look at the Surface Duo 2 this week. So please tell us, can we start calling it a phone now? Yes, we can call it a phone now. Uh, Panos Panay was very insistent during that briefing in the fall of 2019, back in person in the before times, that it was not a phone, as you mentioned. Um, it, it was more like, you know, it's a, it's a new category of device, right, is how it was presented. And I and I said, like, well, it, like, it makes phone calls. Like one of the, I remember like one of the intro screens for the marketing video for it was like a woman accepting a phone call. And I'm like, that's, that's a phone. And they're like, no, it's not a phone. But, you know, there were a couple things about it that maybe indicated, okay, it is kind of a weird hybrid device. Like it didn't have um, rear facing cameras. It had a front facing camera. And if you wanted to, you could flip the, the flap back and then take a photo that way. But I don't know if anyone ever, anyone who bought the thing ever used it that way. So there were no um, rear cameras. And the emphasis really was on productivity. Like here's how you'd use Microsoft Outlook across two panes of screen. Uh, yeah, yeah. Outlook. The most exciting phone demo ever. <laughs> yeah. Outlook. So now, um, and now it's a phone. And now, I mean, it, now it's like, you know, there, there's a three camera module on the back of it. Uh, so there's a, a wide angle, an ultra wide angle and a telephoto lens. Um, like it, a it's phone. A, it's like a phone. It's a 12 megapixel <laughs> camera 
camera system. Uh, I mean, it, the thing, it, it's the module is ugly, but it's it's there. Um, and and the way that Microsoft was demonstrating it was really more about like having fun with it. Like here here's how you play casual games using these two different screens. And hey, I even got a demo of TikTok where like one page you're looking at the video that you're currently on and the other page is basically like a your for you page that shows like rows and rows of upcoming videos, um, which was like a cool way to experience TikTok. Uh, and then um, just snapping photos with it. Like you can use one side of the Duo 2 as your viewfinder and then the other, and then immediately the photo you've just snapped appears briefly on the other you know, the other display. And so you can look at it and see if you need to continue taking more photos to get the shot. And then you can go into edit mode and then you end up having this, you know, palette essentially for editing your photos across two different displays. So, um, you know, it's kind of been an interesting strategy for them because on the one hand, that split down the middle means that apps have to be optimized to work around that. But on the other hand, maybe it's not quite as vulnerable to durability issues as something like the Samsung Galaxy Fold, um, or the Z Flip, which are creating uh, one unified flexible polymer display across two different, you know, sort of sections of a phone, um, which we know they're they're less durable, right? So um, maybe the Duo is actually the way to go. Uh, kind of reminds me of like if you just like took an iPad Mini and like cut it in half and then said it's a book now. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to play with this thing. It's also $1,500. So Yikes. yeah. Brenda, what did you think of it when you saw it? Um, so when I first picked it up, my first thought was like, oh, okay, this feels a lot nicer than the last one. Um, I don't know why I when I first picked up the last one, it still just like felt very prototypey to me. Like I, it just didn't feel nice. Um, but this one felt a lot more sleek, um, definitely a lot more high end almost. But for me, like I know that we have foldables and then you have your dual screen phones, like people like to keep those separate. Um, and I guess after seeing literally like the fold three and the flip three and just seeing glass fold, like to me, that's like compared to the duo, it feels like that should have happened so much longer ago. Um, it's like, you look at these two dual screen phones and you're like, okay, what, like a feat of engineering compared to like a folding <laughs> glass display. Um, yeah, it just doesn't feel as exciting for me anymore. Um, I think if the duo had come out like, yeah, you know, long before the fold or the flip, um, even the razor, oh, I'll, I'll I'll throw that one in there, even though it definitely sucked. They still managed to make that one fold. Um, it, it just feels dated to me at this point, and I still feel like it's a little bit confusing for the common person to grasp the concept of um, when you have these dual screens. I don't think it's as easy as just picking it up and, and learning how to use it. I think that it very much reminds me of one of those, do you remember the password? journals when we were kids. <laughs> Does anybody remember those plastic password journals? That's what it looks like to me. It was like this like square device and you had to type. No, no, remember that. Okay, never mind. Never Brenda, mind. I'm old enough that my diaries were dead tree. Yeah, Brenda, <laughs> I am flattered. I am flattered right now. I was using like composition notebooks. <laughs> <laughs> because they're... <laughs> There's no display on the front, okay? That's what really reminds me. Like, not having this anything on the front, it just looks 
It just looks dated. Yeah. Just a long-winded way of me saying it looks dated. I think also just the $1,500 price tag is, is it, that's asking for a lot. Um, but I'm glad that they did make improvements that they should have applied to the first round. That's all to say that it just feels like they're really behind on this one. And it, it shouldn't have been so difficult for a dual screen phone. I think with Samsung, it was easier to like almost forgive because foldables are still very much in their infancy, I feel like, for the mainstream. Um, so yeah, like seeing the iterations, like I was less harsh. Um, but with this, it's like, it's just two screens. I don't know, am I am I like being, no. it's two screens. <laughs> like, why is no. it so hard? You're not, you're not, you're not wrong at all. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna agree with you because like, especially for $1,500, right? For 1500 bucks, you get a phone that has two screens on it where for the same money, you could get an actual phone with one screen that has one of the best mobile cameras that has ever been created, has uh, a superior display, and you can actually use it to like shoot a feature film if you want to. You can't necessarily do that on the Duo. You can also actually watch a feature film on it, which if you do on the Duo, you're only using half the screen. So... You know, I think if you're talking about spending that kind of money, you should just get like a, a real phone that can do real phone things that's just super badass mm -hmm. instead of this one, which kind of feels limited for phone things because of the dual screen arrangement. And I understand like for productivity and for the cool thing, like it is really cool that you can have the the photo on one side and then have the, the sort of uh, controls to adjust the photo on the other side. But... Have any of us like ever really had that much of a problem doing the same thing inside of a photo editing app on a phone with just like a regular screen? I would say like, no. you know, probably 95 probably out of 100 people would say no, right? Yeah, yeah. We're so used to task switching and app switching at this point. Um, yeah. um, our current, you know, somewhat limited mobile devices, like limited in terms of real estate, um, that it's not that hard to do. So I would argue that the problem that Microsoft is looking to solve is something that our brains have already solved for us. Hmm, that's interesting. And we shouldn't have to pay $1,500 for it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm definitely intrigued by the Duo 2, and I hope that I get a loaner unit to review. Julian reviewed the last one for us, and I think he gave it a 4 out of 10. So we'll see We'll see what we, what we think of this one. Uh, but just to pile on here, I do when I look at something like the Samsung Galaxy, um, so the Z Flip 3 folds, blah, blah, blah. the one that, fold, that folds, you know, closed like, a, like an old-fashioned little flip phone. Um, and I think about out outdoor activities, going for a jog, going for a hike, Anything that involves the phone actually being on your person and you're not just holding in your hands doing work, something like the Duo 2 is still really not appealing. Uh, something like the the Z Flip Fold, I think, is the is is the way to go. Um, and so, yeah, we're seeing like innovation happen in these like weird areas coming from different directions. I still believe in some ways foldables might end up being the 3D TV of this decade. We'll see if that turns out to be true. If I'm wrong, I will admit that I'm wrong. Um, but you got to appreciate the experimentation, I think, too. <laughs> Lauren, I look forward to reading your piece about how foldables are the new 3D TVs. Um, you can go to wire.com and enjoy that right now. Oh, right. You already wrote it. Yes. Nice. And if I, if I don't respond to your slacks while I'm writing about the Duo 2, it's because I literally can't find the Slack app on the screens. <laughs> Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll do our recommendations. 
Brenda, you are our guest. You get to go first. What's your recommendation? Okay, so it is a show. It's a Peacock original, so you'll have to have Peacock. Um, subscribe to that. Um, and Are you giving out your username and password on this program? It, honestly, sure, if anybody wants it. I don't really <laughs> use it that often. Like, this is literally a once-in-a-lifetime type thing. Um, no offense to Peacock, but I don't know. This was just this was a recommendation from a friend, so it's a recommendation in a recommendation. Um, so it's called Dr. Death, and it is based on a true story and there's also a documentary but this show is a little I guess they emphasize and fictionalize a lot but um it is about a doctor who botches a lot of spinal tap surgeries um and basically people end up paralyzed people end up dying um but he just keeps jumping around from hospital to hospital so um it's essentially like the journey of getting him to uh stop and to lose his license and to put him in prison. I mean, all this is already known because there's a documentary, but very intense, a little uh, bloody. So if you guys don't like watching surgeries and stuff, which I don't, but I am making an exception, um, it can get a little intense, um, but very good. I'm not done yet. I'm almost there, but um, yeah, I uh, highly recommend. It's, it's a very thrilling uh, show. Dr. Death. Dr. Death. Solid, solid first recommendation for the show, by the way. <laughs> I know. I'm going very uh, morbid. <laughs> Lauren, what's what's your recommendation? Hopefully that's not a metaphor for the surface duo. Oh. Um, Staying on theme. <laughs> have I already recommended athletic brewing non-alcoholic beers? I may have on an earlier show. Maybe, maybe around dry January. I know that our executive editor of news, Brian Barrett, is also a fan of this brand. But you know what? I'm light on recommendations this week, so I'm going to go for it again. Nice. I recommend checking out Athletic Brewing non-alcoholic beers. My favorite is called, I think it's called Upside Dawn, uh, which is a golden ale, but there's also a stout, an IPA, and other types of beer as well. I'm recommending this because it is hardware silly season, and um, you know, occasionally you want to kick back and have a beer, have a drink, but I, I, I'm just working on <laughs> It feels like all the time right now, um, maybe with the exception of last Friday night. And and um, and so like I'm just I'm drinking non-alcoholic beer at the moment, like which is which is great. They're they're delightful. You wake up feeling fresh the next day when you have to tape early morning podcasts or like you know, microblog some weird Microsoft device. And I recommend that if you if you're either not drinking alcohol at all or taking a break from alcohol and looking to detox and you're looking for a tasty beer, check out Athletic Brewing Beers. Nice. Mike, what's your recommendation? Um, so I'm going to recommend something that is probably not as healthy as non-alcoholic beer, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but it is Indian pizza. So Sounds way more delicious than non-alcoholic beer. If you can imagine a pizza, I'm sure you can all imagine a pizza, but instead of, you know, this, the toppings that you would expect to find on pizza, things like pizza sauce and pepperoni and mushrooms and cheese and spinach and olives and green peppers and all the things that you put on pizza, it is Indian sauces and Indian delicacies that go on it. So things like spiced lentils, spiced spinach, chicken tikka masala, sauces. Uh, covering the pizza and then often also covered with cheese, either like paneer, the Indian cheese, or just regular old shredded mozzarella cheese like you'd find on a normal pizza. This is something that's a, a sort of a cross-cultural hybrid that was, um, according to 
lore, uh, according to popularly accepted lore, was born in San Francisco in the mid-80s. There was a guy named Delvinder Multani who bought a restaurant that had a pizza oven and he wanted to serve Indian food, but he decided that he would get started just by making pizza. And then he started making Indian pizza. And that place was called Zante's. I used to live within walking distance of Zante's and I kind of got hooked on Indian pizza, but now I live pretty far away and they're like a little bit of shade here. Their delivery is really terrible. Sometimes you wait like three hours for your delivery to show up and it's cold and you got to put it in the oven. So I stopped eating it. And then uh, a couple of months ago, a place opened up uh, here next to my house that makes Indian pizza. And now I'm back on the train. Since then, it has exploded in popularity and you can find Indian pizza restaurants in places like New York, Chicago, um, different parts of the Midwest. You can find it in any good food city. So my recommendation is check your local listings <laughs> Find an Indian pizza place near you and try it. And if it's not great, try a different restaurant and see if you like that one better. Because I'm telling you, it's amazing. That sounds delicious. That really does. And I'm probably going to look for that this weekend, I think. <laughs> Especially in New York. It's pretty dope. And it's really like it's um, it's versatile, right? So whether you're a vegetarian or vegan or you have, um, you know, if you like if you like chicken, <laughs> you can always get sort of something fun on it. That's good for you. That speaks to your palate. So, yeah, that's that's my rec. All right. Well, that's our show. Brenda, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been delightful. We look forward to having you back on the show many, many more times. I would love that. <laughs> And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. This show is produced by Boone Ashworth. Goodbye. We will be back next week. Goodbye.